the nature of your emergency. Good morning, police, fire, military, and families, and to everybody who is listening in on the Tactical Living Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Walton, and I am very, very excited because this morning we have a 31-year veteran, and um, this is somebody that I feel like I have the advantage over because I've already read his book, and I feel like I know so much about him and his personality already, Um, so I I just want to point that out, but we have a lieutenant colonel from the Army, Mr. Jason Pike. Jason, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Ashley. I'm very honored to be on your show. Good morning, everybody. Drop your questions, you guys. Something tells me that um, Jason's going to be a fun one for us to get to interview, and I'm sure that he will be more than welcome to answer any questions that you might have. Um, Now, Jason, you are also the author of A Soldier Against All Odds, which I was able to read last week, and I read a lot, but I have to point out the fact that in your book, I felt like I was able to consume not only so many of your stories, which kept me engaged throughout the entire book, but I feel like I was also to learn able to learn so much about your personality. And in your foreword, you have Dr. Cole Cheek, and he said that when he first met you, it seemed like you looked immune to failure and humor. And in the beginning, I didn't quite understand that. But after reading some of the adversities and the struggles and things that you've had to overcome to get to where you're sitting right now, I 100% understand where he was coming from with that statement. So if we could just start out a little bit by telling us um, about some of your childhood and some of the things that weren't quite so easy for you. Well, yes. Um, So 31 years, nine years were overseas in five or so different countries. In the very beginning, when I grew up, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. At the time, they didn't know what the name was. I don't know. It could be dyslexia. It could have been Asperger's syndrome. I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get my reading and writing are my worst subjects. Oh, by the way, I'm a national author. You can go figure that one out. But no, they they still are my worst subjects. And that's what I failed. I failed English in the first grade. And I was taken back to repeat it. And I just continued to struggle academically, uh, things of that nature. Um, And I was also diagnosed at age nine with a bone disease. Well, it was osteomyelitis and my left bone went away and uh, I was on crutches for a while. And uh, but the damn thing grew back (laughs) and it's it's actually bigger than my right knee. So uh, those were the two things that were setting me up a little bit differently than most people, you know, Failure and pain were introduced to me very early in life. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, I forgot to mention, we do have a giveaway today. I have a Second Amendment 50 caliber brass ceramic shot glass that I'm going to send to whoever comments the most within the next 24 hours. So again, drop your comments and your questions down below. Now, now, Jason, how did that impact your life when it comes to the comparisons of growing up around other people your own age? Well, I was looked at very differently. I think I still am. I don't register normally, I think. So it's a, you might look at me as a little odd if we had a conversation, you know, not in this chat. I'm prepared for this right here, but I'm talking about just through the, through, you know, through the, you know, through the streets and things of that nature. So um, I, it, it developed a bit of grit. The only good thing, which I think the only good thing out of those two failure and pain, pain events as a child was it, it kind of set me up with a little bit more grit than the average person. 
plus the fact because pain and failure were like that just as a kid you just think that's supposed to be normal right i mean and so i just thought you have i'm gonna have to work harder and i'm gonna and i know what pain is and so and i had a good father i had a really good father who said hey this is just part of life you gotta suck it up kind of like the army does right and so <laughs> so i kind of just okay that's the way it's gonna be and uh he says my life was worse than yours <laughs> my life was worse than yours and it was i mean he he was born white trash, stealing food out of garbage cans type of poor. And uh, I wasn't poor. I wasn't hungry. But he said, you know, it's just part of life and you have to just suck it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then going from from that and then having your dad's support, what led you into the Army? Oh, I thought that was the only thing I could do <laughs> is join not, not the active duty Army, but the National Guard. We called uh, it was the old acronym NG. We we called that Nasty Girls. It was a less than best organization to get into. Weekend warriors, one weekend a month, two weeks a year. You know, drinking beer and shooting rounds, and that's what we were doing. We it's in my book. We shot artillery and drank at the same time, and so it's just wild stories. I couldn't, I can't believe it even happened, but it did. And I got it verified by some people, but no, I am. So I joined the National Guard before I even was graduated from high school. Um, and then I went to basic training between my 11th and 12th grade years of high school. So I was a little older because I had failed a grade. I was 17. And that's when you get your that's when you can raise your right hand to defend America is when you're 17. But you got to get your mom's signature. <laughs> so uh, she said, OK, you go ahead and go. And I went in uh, while everybody was partying when they were in their whatever junior between their junior and senior year. I was going through hell at Fort Seal, Oklahoma uh, at age 17. I turned 18 while I was in basic training. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Now, from your book, there are so many stories and, and so many answers. I would assume that you could answer the question that I have. And I, I'm just picturing. Um, very vividly a story that you shared where you were asked to go look for bugs in the mud and you literally like shove your face into the mud looking for bugs and just so much of your personality beams from from this book but in in knowing how hard your childhood was and then making the decision at 17 and um getting your parents signature what were some of the challenges that you faced Oh, you're talking about when you want to go to that story of bugs or you want to go to falling into shit or being investigated. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tell the <laughs> you have to tell the shit story. OK, so, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people. Uh, so this was when I was a lieutenant uh, land navigation, trying to find your way through the woods with a map and a compass is sort of a skill that we need to learn and be competent in and show our superiors. I was in South Korea. I was stationed there three different times on active duty military. And there was this badge that I wanted to get. And uh, it was the end. Uh, but uh, you had to de demonstrate one of the skills of many skills was night land navigation. And so I was walking along this rice paddy. No, we always think we've been in shit, right? That's a term we use. I, I'm neck deep. But let me tell you the story where I've been in neck deep. I was walking along this rice paddy looking for a way to get my point. And I needed to cross this ditch and I knew it smelled really bad. So I knew to stay away from this ditch. Well, you know, shit is slippery. I slipped into it, went under my neck, into my neck deep in it. They use this for fertilizer over there. I went neck deep into it. I thought I was going down. You know, I had my equipment on my back, load bearing equipment, had a rifle, a compass, you know, and a map, and I had things strapped to me. 
but I was going down and I could, I, 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 I could tell that my gag influence, <coughs> I didn't want it to get into my nose. So I, I was <laughs> at the time I was feeling horrified. I was feeling that, you know, my life cannot end this way. You know, my last name is Pike and, and, you know, it's going to be poop dies, Pike dies in poop on the, the, <laughs> the demilitarized zone. You know, that's what I thought my leg. And then even if I make it out of here, and they find out I got another problem is, you know, they're going to call me poop and pipe forever. And I don't want that to happen either. So I was thinking of many things. I never had a family, never had any uh, children. I had, there's a lot of things I hadn't done. And I was like, damn. So it was quicksand material. So what I did, I used to watch a lot of <laughs> television shows about people in quicksand. But yeah, what I did was I angled myself up for a whole, four to five degree angle, started getting up and I went on top to spread the weight out. And then I looked all out of the shit. Once I got out of the shit, I was like feeling, uh, feeling thankful. I had just saved my life, but I'm a mob of shit at this time. And, uh, and, and then I was facing another problem of how to avoid. So there was other soldiers out there looking for their points, doing the exercise like me alone at night. And I said, I gotta avoid those people. I don't want them to see me and I don't want them to smell me. So <laughs> smelly. And so the first thing I did is I rolled around like a dog to get the bulk of it out on the, on the rice stubble, on the rice paddy. And then I said, wow, uh, it's, it was permeated through me and it was still stuck into me, but if the mob was off, we're not supposed to go talk to Korean families' homes. I'm kind of, kind of believe it or not, I'm, I'm not a rules and regulation guy, I, believe it or not, in the Army. I, I do whatever to make the mission happen. But I did see a farmer out there. We're not supposed to talk to the Koreans and go up to them and talk. So I went to the farmer's house. I saw a light, started walking toward the light. I didn't know if I was walking toward heaven or hell at this time, but I went to the light, knocked on the door, <laughs> smelling and looking like shit. And I, Ajima, the woman of the house, we call her Ajima. She comes to the house and looks at me and goes, Aigu, Aigu, Aigu. And uh, that means ooh. And then there was not a whole lot of uh, English was not necessary at this time because we knew we were in an emergency situation. So it was a lot of hand motioning. So she, she motioned me to strip naked and I did. I stripped naked and in front of a complete stranger and I gave her my clothes and equipment, except my rifle and my map and my compass. <laughs> I gave her everything, butt naked, barefoot naked. And she motioned that she was going to clean it up and find me the next morning. And, um, and so I walked back to camp about a mile or so, uh, naked through the woods and avoiding not to be or avoiding not to anybody to find me. I wanted to get back there quickly before they got back. And then I was going to call it a night, clean up, call a night. Well, you know what? That's what happened. She, in the morning, she delivered all my equipment to my camp. See, I took my stuff outside the camp. I slept under the woods, out in the woods. So when she came in that morning, no one would see it. Because, you know, a woman coming to a man in, in, a, in a camp, they'll probably understand it. But I got away with that. They didn't know how, you know, they didn't know I, I fell into poop. And they, you know, so I got away with two things that went right that night. I got out of shit. And then I saved my face. Well, failed the course, but I went on to take it two more times to get it. So uh, that's the uh, poop and pike story there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I have been in shit, literally, and almost drowned. Yeah. Someone says here, shit stories are the best. Yeah, and that one was definitely, as I'm reading the book, I had to like pause and just laugh because when when you read Jason's book, getting up to the point where he really delves into a lot of his service stories, you, you've already gained an idea of so much of his personality. And one thing I want to point out was 
there are many times in your story where you say you have had difficulties, but from another perspective, I look at it as you seeing things in a way that most people don't see. And you seem to have always gained an edge by viewing things in a way that's completely unique. And I can I can recall going through your book and just being like, man, I never would have thought to kind of play it off that way or to to use my personality to my advantage. And I, I think that that's really a part of your character that is showcased in in your book. So yeah, that that is a very vivid story. And I couldn't even imagine. I couldn't even imagine that either. And I also couldn't imagine everyone's face when they see this female walking <laughs> in and handing you these pristinely, you know, pressed uniforms that obviously don't smell like shit anymore. Yeah. And she was a Korean woman. She just walked in, walked out. I think maybe one or two of my buddies saw it, but they they thought my cover was so well that I didn't go down and legacy as poop and pike. So yeah, but you're correct. I, I'm a creative type of character. Every one of you guys probably are growls out there can probably do better on a standardized test than me, but given a problem and giving me some time to think about it, I might be a creative character to get the problem solved uh, just a different way. <laughs> and so that's kind of, yeah. And then I'm an audio. If you don't want to read it, I got, I am the, I'm the narrator and the author. So it's coming from the horse's mouth if you want to listen to it. Yeah, I might have to download that too, just to get your personality a little bit deeper. I did poop my pants, get on the bus and move around so no one would know where the smell was coming from. <laughs> I'm not sure who posted that. Yeah, you, you'd be great friends with Jason then. Oh, now, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I know, and, and I do want to get to the investigation story, if that's okay too, because I think that's an important one that a lot of people here might be able to relate to. But before that, how... How do you think that you've made it as far as you have in your career based on all the challenges that you expressed so early on in your childhood? Um, how did that happen? I know in your book, you mentioned a 5P process. That's it, 5P. So um, 5P is prior planning prevents piss poor performance or poor performance. The 5Ps, Pike's doing the 5Ps. So if I had an event or a test or a thing that I knew that was coming up, I was pretty good at planning ahead and sort of looking out uh, that that. So whether it be trying to get a graduate record exam test done, I would prepare maybe a year out for that and with a tutor. And, and, and you know that there was a skill badge called the expert field medical badge. It shows your display of competency, you know, taking people off the battlefield, you know, that are, that are hurt. That took me three times to get and it's in it, in it. But and, and then but, you know, in, in the. Again, going back to childhood failure and pain, I thought, I, I, and I also felt very blessed that I was there doing it because here I am. I accomplished all this from 17 years old as a private. Now I'm lieutenant, captain, whatever. So I'm always feeling in my back of my mind like I shouldn't be here. Everyone told me I can't be here and do this stuff, but I'm doing it. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> and even though I had many fiascos and the failures. That's kind of what was going on in my mind at the time. Yeah. Yeah. In your book, I know that a lot of people, not only was it a difficult childhood, but you, you have this common theme of an echo of people telling you like, you're not equipped for college. You can't do this. You can't do that. And then you pretty much gave everybody the subliminal middle finger, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> well, yeah. Now, I, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I know your dad was such an important part of your life. Can you talk to us a little bit about him? 
Yeah, so my dad grew up uh, in the mountains of North Carolina and South Carolina, the foothills of South Carolina. Uh, I'm from a city called Fingerville, South Carolina, if you can believe that. But he was outside of Fingerville, South Carolina, really north towards Hendersonville, South Carolina. But he lived a lot down in that area. That's kind of close together. And so, yeah, he was poor, white trash. We're talking about he kind of just moved around from house to house. Not necessarily an orphan, but someone who was just passed around barefoot, poor. And uh, he taught me how to steal watermelons from gardens if I had to eat. Just because he was, he was trying to prepare me if, I, if he goes poor. If we go poor, you can, you can, there's other things you can do. But he was also a character. He was uh, he taught me at age nine how to shoot bottle rockets at cars and people. And uh, I always thought he was a great guy. He was really good with kids, and he was a uh, you know he would run around with us and just say and kind. Of, but see, he, he he was sort of living through us vicariously because he had such a, such a poor background. Now he sees all these kids in the neighborhood we grew up around. And says, "Yeah, go do this, do that." And I think he knew we did a lot of stuff, and we did. But to him, that's probably nothing compared to what he had to do. He just thought of us as well-fed boys hanging out and playing normally. And he was kind of wishing he'd had that childhood. But he was a great guy. He was a very strong character uh, in the book. Very huge influence on a lot of the family members' lives. Yeah. Yeah, he sounded like a great man. And I love how you touched on so much of the ways that he supported you. And um, in one of those ways, you you tell a crazy story about an investigation that you went through. And I read your book last week. And with the sound of freedom having come out, I thought like, wow, like what a crazy thing to have had to have gone through. And yeah. um, yes, I mean, so I've had a lot of arrests, but I got in over them. But I'll tell you in my book, what's my fault? No doubt about that. So when you go to this crazy chapter, it's called Third Times a Charm. That's during the investigation. Um, so in organizations, uh, I don't even know, it could be churches, it could be the army, it could be the government. Uh, you can have people that will backstab you or throw you under the bus. And it's just a dynamic. I think it's a mean social dynamic. We kind of knew that with like, you know, especially girls in high school would do. But we're, we're talking about once you become a professional. At, at the time, I was a lieutenant colonel. I didn't know these things happened at that level. I know I've always seen on a television, well, this guy's going under investigation. Well, this guy's going under. Well, I said, well, that must be that must you need in my mind. I'm thinking, well, they've done something. Not necessarily true. I've, it took me a while to figure I had to go through one to figure out that it's some of it's just really a bunch of bullshit. So what happened was I went to South Korea. I was a lieutenant colonel, which was a senior manager, and I'd already been there twice and done well twice. And I was very familiar with the issues of South Korea in my job. Well, I went in there and I told some people that, you know, I feel that my strength is here doing operational things and not research. So not research oriented. I wanted to do more operational type of my job. It was basically just a, you know, this is where I fit. I don't fit over here. That didn't, the conversation didn't go well. It wasn't screaming or yelling. I walked. Now you'll see as you get to that chapter, I do walk a different walk. I do talk a different talk and I'm not in the clip, but I, I, you know, I, I, I was successful up to that point. And I started finding things 
uh, I started, I, well, first of all, I felt it. In other words, I felt that I knew I was walking into a weird situation and I didn't know what it was when I saw the people and how they interacted, you know, the bio, just the eyes and the, how they walked and talk. I knew that this was a different organization. You know, in the military, we have to move every two to three years. Even though we're still in the military, we still go to a different group or power play or clique of people. And um, this clique, <laughs> unfortunately, I didn't get along with. And um, I faced the wind. I had to face some stuff. The first accusation that's not federal and that's not formal. It was a rumor. It was that I was a pedophile. I was a pedophile. And that was a rumor that went around the community. Okay. So that drove me crazy too. <laughs> I, I do have a daughter that went there to Seoul Elementary. I, I did play with it. I was like a, like my dad. My dad used to play and with kids and I did the same thing. And I did go to, to lunch with my daughter, but I wasn't a pedophile. That was hurtful. And I'll give them credit. Once that didn't work and that went away, then I became a spy. In other words, I, came, I went from a pedophile to someone who's passing on government information to foreign nationals. And that was within two years. Okay. 2008 was pedophile. 2009, actually a year, I was a spy. I was under, I went under CID, Criminal Investigation Division, and military, Army Military Intelligence. This was more formal. They saying you are accused. I thought when I went up on the hill on Dragon Hill Lodge and Young, so I thought it was about pedophile, but it wasn't. It was totally different. So they said, okay, you've been passing on information, blah, 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 blah. I said, no, hell no. You don't go to hell. Kiss my fucking ass. I wanted to kick some ass at that time. I was really upset. And um, MI was there. CID was there. There was two different rooms. One room was me and CID and MI being briefed on the situation. Right next to the other room, right next door, my commander, my full colonel commander, he was also being briefed on the same thing with another set of CID and MI. And then, then once I walked out of there, he says, do you, you want a defense attorney? I says, hell yeah, I want a defense attorney. This is a bunch of bullshit. But I do remember. I remember him. Uh, his name was, well, I got it in the book. CID guy, he, he, as he was walking out, he touched me on the shoulder. He says, try not to let this bother you. He was trying to give me a hint that there's some bullshit here. But I didn't take that in. Well, I was very emotional. I was like, no. I was like, no, try not to let it bother me. Hell yeah, it bothered me. So I went through a, another a year, uh, another year process of people. You know, I went to the criminal investigation. Uh, well, I went to my military defense attorney, and they said, what's going to happen is they're going to follow you around. They're going to monitor phone calls, computers. They're going to do anything. They're going to look at you detail-wise. And they did. They phone, <laughs> phone calls and people just various situations, computer crashes, and just people following me around, just weird events that occurred during that time. And uh, I just stuck to my back, stuck to my family and, and just kept on going. It was difficult times, very hard times, no doubt. Um, but nothing ever happened. And once I left South Korea, everything just went away. I never heard anything about it, but it took, it was over. They wanted to take me out. Uh, it's called the takeout. I, I find, so what happens in government or military or whatever organizations, I think you can just stir shit up about somebody. Maybe someone's not walking a certain walk or maybe you don't like the boss or whatever. You can do things to make their life miserable or to transfer them. I, I'm thinking transfer would be the thing because uh, once you're in, you've got your time. You're pretty much in it. Unless you kill somebody, it's hard to get you out once you become senior. So I think they were they knew that. And I think that, that, that I think those games do exist. So 
that's kind of what how that thing happened. Yeah, I think every single individual in this Facebook group could probably understand or relate to what you just said. The first investigation was unfounded, so they tried another route. Yes, exactly. Way to stick through the investigations. Yeah, and I have to just say, when I was reading Jason's book, when he walks you through the people involved and exactly how all of this played out, I got so mad for you, Jason, because I felt like they thought you were weak. They thought you were a vulnerable target. And in the end, like once again, you came out just like on top of it all and um, with such grace. So I just wanted to to point Thank that you. out to you. Thank you. They they tried a number of things. And in that chapter, there was so much stuff that happened to me. I just we just kept to the pedophile. And we kept to the investigation. And then a lot of that stuff was rambled. It was the most difficult chapter to it took us one month, even though I knew we, it took us an entire month for that thing. We went over and over. But no, no, no. Oh, so, yeah, that was just that was an exhausting tour. Yeah, I can imagine. Now, I, I know for the sake of time, we're running out of it a little bit here. Um, You have a wife. You have I, a daughter. I got a daughter. Yeah. My daughter just graduated from Texas A&M. 22 Congratulations. years. Congratulations. Mechanical engineering. And yeah. So my, my daughter that were in South Korea, they're still here with me. And uh, at the time, my wife said, you know, this is a bunch of bullshit. Just keep playing with the kids. You ain't doing nothing. And I uh, said, so, and that's what I did. And, and uh, but I'm like, it, it was harder on me than they were more. I don't know. They were more. My, my daughter was a kid. And so she's like, yeah. but my wife, they were pretty resilient. So yeah. I was the one I was the one taking the taking the heat and taking it personal. I wanted to kill. I've never wanted to kill anyone ever in my life until that time. That's the only time. I can understand that. Um, So before we wrap this up, I do want to ask then, knowing everything you've gone through, the journey that you take us through in your book, A Soldier Against All Odds, what was the whole reason behind even wanting to put together this book in the first place? Legacy for my father, legacy for me. And it it had been nagging at me for years. And it was a persistence, inspirational type of thing. I even graduated. I knew in the very beginning, I don't, most people don't do memoirs when they're young because they still got to go through their career. So um, even as growing out, getting out of college was something very significant. And I knew I had something in me, especially with when I saw all these events go on. And my daddy, my dad was a storyteller. He loved to tell stories and I wanted him to write a book, but now, Hey, he's gone and I'm writing for him and me. And so that's kind of, you know, I was a, I was a story. I learned about storytelling when I, my dad did, and so I said, "Well, this is a, this is a story. This is a book. It's a true story, and it's about my, me and my father basically having a conversation about a thirty-one year life in the military." Yeah, and that it's laid out exactly that way. So I definitely recommend everybody go check it out. You do have a website. It's jasonpike.org. Um, one more question: What are you up to these days? I'm writing a second book. Well, I'm doing podcasting to get the word out. I'm doing a second book on the veterans benefits process. It's just a self-help guide from my point and how I got my veterans benefits. So it's more of a self-help guide. I would love, if anybody had a hint, I would love with this book right here, A Soldier Against All Odds. It, I think you could put it up as a Forrest Gump. I don't know anything about Hollywood. I don't know about, you know, a movie. And uh, you could exaggerate it. But this would be more of a professional horse gum. And uh, that's kind of in my dreams and I don't know how to do it. But if any of you guys got a hint out there, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. We actually, um, we just interviewed somebody who, who, produ- who produces films just like this for law enforcement. So mm-hmm. I will connect the two of you. 
Thank you to everybody who has tuned in. Thank you for dropping that link down below. If you guys have any questions, you can reach out to Jason directly or send me a message and I will link the two of you up. I hope everybody has an amazing day. And Jason, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks, Ashley. Appreciate it. Thank you.